Welcome to Every Horror Movie on Netflix, the show where we watch and review and discuss every horror movie on Netflix. I am Chris, and I am here again with Patrick. Hello. And Steven. What's up? And we have assembled this week to discuss the 2021 German Netflix-distributed film, Blood Red Sky. Uh, But before we get into that, we like to catch up about what else we've been watching and reading and doing that's horror related. Um, And and this week, we at least all have one thing in common, right? We we all saw Megan. We saw Megan's debut performance. (laughs) Megan's debut performance. And I, I thought she was pretty good. Once in a generation does an actor like this come along that is just so instantly iconic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I can't wait to see more. I was I was more lukewarm on this than you two were, I think. And and I think I was pretty lukewarm on it, but I had I had about as much fun as I expected. I feel like we also had kind of the inverse reaction where I at least from what I was gathering from y'all's text thread yesterday, um from our text thread yesterday. Um, it sounded like you wanted less humor in it, and I honestly mm-hmm. wanted more. I enjoyed the kind of crazy ass, couple of crazy ass moments of almost like Tim and Eric style humor in this thing. And but it was it was so scattershot. It was there were just a few moments placed here and there, and it made me go, okay, what kind of movie are you trying to be exactly? I wanted more of the humor, I guess. It walks a fine line and trips over it sometimes, I think, because it's almost a Verhoeven level satire. But it's lacking mm. something. And I feel like that forced humor didn't work as well as just the fucking reaction shots of Megan. Because she's such a great special effect. She immediately <laughs> elicits so many emotions just in a reaction shot of her blank face. That I felt like that was enough for this movie to ride on to be great. And I didn't laugh very often when I was supposed to laugh. Mm. Or at least as far as like as far as like the the banter and the dialogue and that sort of stuff goes. Um I thought <laughs> Megan is so uncanny. She's just mm-hmm. hilarious. I thought she was funny every time she was on the screen. Um, where the movie went wrong for me in terms of humor is like there was some real dry humor and there's some really weird humor, like Tim and Eric's type humor. But then there's also just some like silly, like NBC sitcom type humor too. Mm-hmm. And I, I could have done without that. But listen, we can pick our nits. I just thought it was a, a great time. It was a great watch. It was great to watch in a theater. Yes. I don't know if it's gonna... I don't know if this is a movie I'm gonna want to come back to and be like, oh, let me watch this movie on Blu-ray by myself. Probably no, I te- not. I texted uh, It Slays Mike about this, and I said, in in less than a year, we'll remember the memes more than the movie itself. And I, 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 I think that prediction is going to hold true. I don't think I'm ever going to rewatch this thing. I, I just, no, like, no. I've recommended it to everyone I know, though, because it was such a fun theatrical experience with a crowd. Mm-hmm. But for some people, I'm like, you might just want to wait until there's a supercut of all the stuff with Megan on YouTube. Yeah, <laughs> and everything else left out. Yeah, I was surprised at how sort of dull this was in in spots. I especially like for the first half hour, we're just you know we're here because we know we, we've got a killer android doll movie on our hands, and it just takes 
kind of a while to actually get to that. And I frankly was like literally nodding off occasionally for the first half hour or so before I finally got to what I was there to see. So I don't know. It was a bit underwhelming for me. All right. Next time, Stephen, if you sit next to Patrick again, you're on sharp elbow duty. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, Patrick, I was having a hard time gauging your reaction because you were, you know, very conscientiously masked up. And there were times where I did wonder if you were asleep. <laughs> <laughs> I was, I was, at, I was time. at least close a couple of times. <laughs> But yeah, yeah, very weird phenomenon to have a movie that I wholeheartedly recommend to everybody, but also I'm not looking forward to going back to. But what else have you guys been doing, watching, viewing, queuing? Yeah, absolutely nothing other than M3 again. Oh, I watched the rehearsal. I feel like the rehearsal fucking qualifies. The rehearsal is, frankly, real life horror as fuck. It's horror adjacent for sure. Yeah. yeah. I need to still finish that. Man. I know you watched it twice. I watched it twice in its entirety in five days. It blew my mind. It man, it's just one of the weirdest, most singular, most disturbing, thought-provoking, funniest things I've ever seen. It's wild. And it's six episodes that are mostly like just a half hour, so it's pretty easy to blast through. Well, shit, I forgot it was that short, so I don't really have much more to watch to finish it. Yeah. I think I'll do that today. Yeah, you probably got yeah. like an hour left to go. I mean... Just Nathan, Nathan Fielder is just so... His skin always looks a little bit moist. His lips are a little too pink. <laughs> oh, he's His a deeply unsettling so person. <laughs> it's hard to spend more than a half hour with him at a time for me. Talk um, about talk about a great movie monster. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I was reading a profile of him last night, and the man is... I mean, the character in the rehearsal and Nathan for you, his character is a bit, but it's not too far removed from his real-life personality from the right. sounds of it. <laughs> Speaking of movie monsters, I watched uh, Creature from the Black Lagoon for the first time. Oh, shit. Oh, I thought you had seen that before. What? I'd never seen it before. I know. I thought that was one of your favorite movies all the time. And you're such a diving person. I know. No. It was was always on my list. I wanted to watch all the Universal films like in order. And then I loaned you the Wolfman and didn't get it back. (laughs) And so I stopped (laughs) watching. Uh, I just skipped ahead to Creature from the Black Lagoon. Uh, It was pretty good. I was a little underwhelmed. I, I was expecting something a little bit bigger than like sort of a archetypical like 50s monster movie sort of thing um obviously the underwater stuff is pretty special oh yeah listen they need to just let these monsters fuck (laughs) what like well del toro does have you seen the shape of water yes 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 exactly which i found out was like actually like he wanted to make a creature from the black lagoon movie (laughs) (laughs) where the creature Um, gets but do it right (laughs) yeah no it's it it seems like a lot of these these classic monsters they're just they're just a little lonely and they just want to touch some flesh and then everyone's (laughs) like no uh kill that thing (laughs) um well chris i have a book recommendation for you and i can walk oh yeah house one of these days uh the lady from the black lagoon by mallory o'meara which i know patrick has read Mm -hmm. is a really fun and fascinating deep dive into the the woman who designed the creature and you know sort of her ins and outs with her hollywood career and how um historians aren't great at uh documenting women in pretty much any profession especially uh pioneers like uh millicent patrick i think her name is Mm -hmm. i think you'd dig it yeah second to that recommendation for sure sure I'll check it out. Um, I I did like that the movie was a little bit sympathetic towards the creature. 
mm-hmm. or at least like ambivalent towards it. You had the one scientist who was like, no, don't kill it. It's a beautiful animal, but then ends up killing it anyway. I, I, it might be the, the haze code in effect there because they like, they, they shoot the fuck out of him and he like floats off and it's like, Oh, is he dead? <laughs> is he not dead? I don't know. <laughs> But I really want to see, so um, Universal just put out these, which they do every few years, but now it's on Blu-ray. They put out, for each of the classic Universal monsters, they put out the, the Blu-ray box sets for each one of, like, all of their Universal incarnations from the 30s and 40s. And there's a creature from the Black Lagoon movie called The Creature Walks Among Us, where the creature is, like, walking among us in human clothes and like people are trying to decide if he's fit for society it's like a (laughs) situation and i'm dying to finally check it out sounds great that's a chris movie if i've ever heard of one (laughs) it's a chris and steven movie wait steven is your is your favorite universal movie creature from the black lagoon i guess i i feel i'm feeling like i mixed chris up with somebody i thought that creature from the black lagoon was your favorite or something chris the Wolfman is my favorite, and like mm-hmm. I legitimately, there was a period in my like very young uh, youth where I wanted to grow up to be the Wolfman. Like I wanted mm. to be a werewolf in movies, and I had kind of gnarled teeth too. I had an overbite, so I thought I'm a shoe in. <laughs> but the creature is a close second. I don't know if I've ever no, actually like a- seen the Wolfman. It's great. It's a perfect like big Halloween energy. Thing. Yeah. Lots do you have, do you have a favorite uh, monster, Patrick? Oh, Invisible Man, the original Invisible Man is definitely my favorite Universal by far. But also, I haven't gone too far beyond like the first. I don't know if I've ever watched like one of the sequels to a Universal monster movie, just like the original ones. Bride of Frankenstein is my favorite by far. Oh, that's fucking great. And my fetish. (laughs) Well, you got that big, beautiful bride poster. I do. I always enjoyed at your old place. Where is it? It's still here. I just got to find a spot for it here. Okay. Do you have the full, so you have the full Universal Monster collection then, Chris? I mean, I have the the monster, like the core collection that's like the nine films or whatever. Oh, oh, oh. Okay. I don't have the like 50 movie, every Universal movie ever. Oh, okay. Um, I, all the sequels and all that shit. Yeah. Which most of them don't sound great. But, no. <laughs> well, I haven't really watched anything, but I do have a couple of plugs. Um, and, and excuse me for my voice. I'm, I'm yet again seem to have a cold. Uh, on the book club, Amon Book Club on Discord, we're gearing back up again. I took a couple months off because of the holidays and work was busy. We are going to start reading uh, for January Stephen Graham Jones's My Heart is a Chainsaw. I'm waiting for my copy still. But if you want to join in on that discussion, he's a really interesting guy. He's an indigenous author. And I've only ever read his short stories. But if you want a little taste, I'll also recommend uh, on Nightmare Magazine online for free, you can read a story of his called Hairy Legs and All. That is pure, it's short, and it's pure nightmare fuel, and I fucking love it. Can't wait to see what his long-form stuff reads like. Um, and also, one of my favorite weird art house horror movies, uh, Possession, from 1981, is on Shutter now. So you have no excuse. Check it out. Mm. See if it's your bag. It's a wild one. I will. I, I think, did I hear that the aspect ratio was messed up on that oh god i'm 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 sure it's such a hard movie to come across like i had to order a fucking german blu-ray of it so i could even see it for the first time i might be thinking of something else don't take my word for that but maybe i'll just rather loan borrow your blu-ray yeah borrow the blue hmm. all right well we're here to discuss um What's this movie called? Plane? Uh, <laughs> Under a Blood Red Sky, the U2 documentary. 
<laughs> that's, that's rattle nice. and that... hum the documentary is rattle and hum oh oh what's the album is under a blood red sky yeah the, All right. the album that has only one memorable song on it that's patrick's era of youtube more than mine so <laughs> <laughs> this this movie is it's not rattle and hum it's it's parkour and snarls <laughs> indeed yeah um so uh i we have to spoil the premise so yeah. <laughs> so it's 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 a late reveal so um if you want to go in completely blind just go watch the movie but basically there's a a woman uh, of, of sort of a frail fucked up sort of woman and she is getting on a flight uh to america where she's gonna be meeting with a doctor who can hopefully cure her condition and she's bringing along her little moppet a boy named eli Elias. Yeah, <laughs> Eli. Close enough. Yeah. Wait, wait, wait. To be clear, are we? Is this whole episode a spoiler episode? No. Oh, okay. We're no. spoiling the premise, but not like the the later goings on. I just we we, we I don't want to talk around the fact that she's a vampire. Okay. <laughs> she drinks blood in like the first mm, ten. Minutes, does she? So. I don't think that's true. I want to say I want to say in the first half hour. No, that's not blood. Yeah, she, she takes like she's, a, in, she's like in the bathroom insulin, taking her. But it's like it's like artificial blood. It's like blood inhibitor. She does, but then she also she she injects herself with something seemingly it right in the crotch, which I found very disturbing. And then she drinks something, and she's got red on her lips afterward. So I assumed it was blood. I don't think so. Anyway, I just watched it anyway. Anyway, um, so she's she's bringing along her her little boy, and they're on this flight, and uh, the flight gets uh, taken by hijackers. Um, classic, you know, action movie scenario. We've seen that movie before with uh, with Liam Neeson many times. <laughs> but have we seen it with a vampire? Because that's basically what's going on here. Nadia, the the mom, uh her affliction is actually vampirism and she's been holding it up, uh, keeping it cooped up inside her, not letting it go for a long time. And now um and even when the plane's hijacked, she doesn't let it go, but uh, eventually, of course, you know, it's her son's life at stake, her life at stake, the lives of these passengers at stake, and she has to go feral and try to stop the hijacking in vampire form. So, pretty exciting premise. Very simple premise. Yeah, and I mean, uh, since, you know, we we are starting at the beginning, it's another one of these movies that we always love that starts... Uh, well, no, it's... Yeah, is oh, that yeah. is that is that the appropriate <laughs> term, though? I feel like we always misuse this term when we describe no. it as such. It, it does start in the middle of things or or towards the end of things. But then it um, flashes back. I, I'm not sure yeah. that in Media Res. Did that refer to one also? Yeah. Okay. No, that's right. That's all correct. Right, right. It, start, it starts in Media Res with a what can only be described as a Call of Duty cutscene. Um, <laughs> that is so like on point. The plane is, is landing under duress in Scotland and all the Scottish special forces are, are deployed on the tarmac looking cool as fuck about to try to breach this thing. They got the sniper lined up. The commander's watching from the tower and he's like, if you see this motherfucker, take the shot. It's, it's all very exciting. And you've got a, I mean, you know, I'm not making light of this, but you've got a, a brown person in the cockpit who they assume is a terrorist. And we, yeah. you know, he assures us that he is not, but we later learn how he wound up there and that he anticipated this being a problem. Eventually. And significantly, you see Elias, the boy, get dropped out of the cargo hold to safety. 
And the the special forces are like, grab that son of a bitch, bring him in on me. <laughs> and then they grab him and they take him to the little hospital and they start interrogating about what the hell happened. Um, so when we go into the action, we know some things. We know that uh, the plane's going to land in Scotland. We know that the boy is going to survive and be safe and get off the plane. Mm-hmm. We know that uh, the... Um, uh, Muslim man that we meet very early on is going yeah. to be in the cockpit when this happens. And we know that there's going to be a bomb on the plane. Um, and we don't really know anything else. Well, and, the, well, and we also know just the, um, the, the, the Muslim man who winds up taking control of the plane. We also know that he's grievously injured as well. Yes. Um, this has been some kind of, some kind of throwdown on this plane. Well, and this is what I was trying to say when I brought up it opening in, in Meteor Res, is this is a very exciting opening. You know, we see uh, th- this guy in the cockpit, Farid, I think his name is, being talked mm-hmm. through the process of landing the plane and, and, and doing it successfully. It is very thrilling. It's exciting. But it's it's another one of these classic examples of, like, it, it really took a lot of sort of tension out of what was going on up until we get back to that point again after flashing mm-hmm. back because I'm like, okay, I already know so much about what's going to happen here. Like the plane's going to land. There's this guy who's in the cockpit who almost certainly is being wrongly accused of being responsible for this. There's a little kid who makes it out. Like, you know, so much early on. And I wish I, I don't know, as as happens so often when movies do this, I just wish that I could be allowed to enjoy the tension and not know where things are going, you know? Mm. I want to re-edit this movie because I, I see no dramatic purpose for it beginning the way it does. No. Other than, really, you know... It really takes the air out of the middle, you know, third of the movie or so. Yeah, and I mean, I think, you know, we've, we've discussed a few potential reasons for why movies do this so often these days. But, I mean, some of it is... I feel like it's just like attention span shit where nobody can trust people to just like watch a slow wind up to a dramatic situation. Mm. And also, you know, I think we've talked about this before too, but is it because, you know, in the streaming age, you got to try and like just grab people by the balls in the first two minutes so that they don't flip to the next thing. Good point. Yeah. yeah, we have talked about that. I didn't even think of it, but that that could be the reasoning there. Or is it the I Robert think- Rodriguez thing that Chris brought up the one time where it's like you got to grab the distributor by the balls in the first five mm-hmm. minutes? Yeah, because I mean the production value in this prologue is way higher than like the rest of the movie. It's crazy. The location, the whole airport, the military vehicles and stuff. Um, the pl- yeah, plane but- landing crooked ass. Like they should have <laughs> had Denzel to, to land this motherfucker. <laughs> Um, it's, it's exciting though. And, and it's, um, and, and without that, like it does, I was shocked at how long it took to get where it's going because I knew now, did you guys know going in that was, this was a vampire movie? Cause I tried to keep it a secret from you. No, I did no. not know. I figured it out pretty quickly, but I didn't know from the description or anything. Okay, cool. So I'm curious about how that experience hit you because it, they do keep it pretty well under wraps for for quite some time i thought like well when i saw her drinking the blood i it just yeah i didn't read that as her drinking blood but you did so and you you didn't i I knew she was a vampire and you didn't so i i I think it's played well enough so i I think steven is right that there's like red stuff on her mouth after she drinks out of the bottle in the bathroom and i was puzzled by that i didn't connect it to her being a vampire though i thought maybe she had a bloody nose or something. You it's know? subtle. It's subtle, but she's like fucking freaking out in the bathroom. Yeah. So like, okay, whatever she has is not. At first, I thought like, is this like chemo or something? But she's stabbing herself in the crotch and in the arm and like throwing her arms around. And then she drinks, 
and there's just a little bit of blood on her lip, a little bit uh. of red. It's not, it doesn't scream at you. But I caught it and thought, this has got to be a vampire movie. See, if I re-edit the movie, I would edit that out. I would, too. I, I, I think it was kind of sloppy. I, I liked it, actually. It, it See, that's that's sort of the buildup that I want, that I wished we could have just started at the airport, and she's doing weird shit with her medications in the bathroom, and it's like, what the hell is going on here? I thought maybe she was like some kind of mutant or something who was going to like blow up like terrorist brains with her mind or something. I don't know. That was my, <laughs> operating, that. That was my operating theory until we got the flashback where we see her actually get attacked by a vampire. I would like to see, uh, like, they could keep that whole thing, but treat it more like an X-Files cold open, where, like, all mm. the, the SWAT, the military guys go on to the, the fucking plane, and they see, like, a clove of garlic and a cross <laughs> on the ground. They're like, what the hell? And then they scream, and then then, then we cut back. <laughs> Instead, we just start, we, we have the glassy stare of Elias, and then it cuts back. Well, should we talk about the hijacking? I mean, we know from the cold open, too, that this there's been a... Well, do we know? Yeah, I think so. I think we assume that there's been a terrorist takeover at this point. Yeah, I think and we hear, know, like, the recording, right? Oh, maybe. Oh, yeah, yeah, you're right. Because they record a message to play for, like, air traffic control or whatever, and I think we hear that in the opening, in the prologue they, or whatever. They have hostages record a message saying that they're in control of the plane or something like that, right? right. They're mm-hmm. the ones to blame. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you know, I mean, listen, I'm a sucker for uh, a air hijacking film. Yeah, I am too. Wrong. It's exciting it's to, to be go, It's hard to not be exciting. <laughs> in a submarine or in a plane like in a, like in a in an enclosed space, a bunch of people in an enclosed space in like a dangerous location, either deep sea or high up in the air. Mhm. It's it's guaranteed to be exciting, right? Mhm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> maybe not entirely in this case i'll tip my hand a little bit but um yeah and i mean I, I i don't know i guess this some some of what i'm about to criticize probably goes deeper into like spoiler e territory but i'm talking more about the general just how it's staged but a lot of the time these type of movies they are hard to do because you have limited space there's limited uh ways to draw out the action you know i mean because hijackings are as scary as they are and as rare as they are because they are hard to pull off in real life. <laughs> but yeah, in real life. Like, I mean, usually if you're trying to hijack a plane, you succeed or, or fail like the fucking shoe bomber, the underwear bomber or whatever. You're either an idiot or you're a genius who has planned this extremely well and you succeed. Oh, well also like the bar, the bar for committing a hijacking is getting higher and higher. Um, especially post nine 11, pre nine 11, like right. with the, with the locking cockpit doors and everything, there's only so much you can do. Right. So like in the nineties, when you'd watch, you know, Kurt Russell on a fuck to, on a fucking plane, it would just be like some dude stood up with guns and they took the plane right and now it's yeah. like oh well actually there's like a whole fucking conspiracy and the co-pilot and one of the flight attendants are in on it and so like that's how they get around all the security stuff i think what i'm sort of trying to say is that it's hard to create compelling action in a hijacking movie because there's limited places you can go and how do you how do you keep this going? You either subdue the hijackers or the hijackers get in the fucking cockpit somehow, you know? And so it's like you have to come up with reasons for people to be like cat and mousing back and forth across the plane. And that was some of my problem with this and with some other like 
uh, lower caliber hijacking movies like nonstop, which is fun and has its moments. But you just at some point, it's like people are just running back and forth across the plane playing cat and mouse for no super motivated reason. And that got a little mm, dull to me, I guess. That was what I was trying yeah. to say. And then it's also like, well, what about all the passengers who aren't involved in the action? Yeah, where are they? Them? Yeah. You get, corral them in one section of the plane so you don't have to worry about them. But then it's like sometimes they're a big element. Sometimes they're not. It's it's, it's, it's it's a little messy. But I didn't have any problem with how the hijacking was handled in this in this movie. I thought it was all all that was good to, in my book. It all made sense. I could track it, but it didn't feel particularly exciting to me for much of the movie. I'll I'll mm. just throw that out there. Mm. I, I, I could follow the logic. I could figure out where where people were. And like this is one one element of like interest in this that I don't know if I've seen in too many plain movies. <laughs> if that's a genre, is like we get we get a lot going down in the cargo hold too. So we we get a little break from the the restriction of the normal kind of economy class seated area. Well, I appreciated that. Yeah. Well, and frankly, I was kind of intrigued by just like the layout of the plane that there were stairs down to the cargo hold from like the main floor or whatever. I I guess that's how passenger planes are usually set up. Maybe, maybe Mm -hmm. this is completely fabricated for the film, but I, I don't know. I was just intrigued by that element of like plane design that I had not been yeah. aware of. Yeah, there's always a, there's always an underbelly to the plane with a lot of shit down there. Well, yeah, I just uh, didn't know there's a stairway down from like the the cabin. I thought you could only access it from like under the plane. No, no, gotta be able to go down there mid flight. The movie to see about that is Air Force One, which this movie I thought had more in common with Air Force One than. A lot of hijacking movies. I, st- I have never seen Air Force One or You've Con never Air. Seen Air Force One or Con Air. Get off my podcast! I know, Patrick. Right? <laughs> I haven't seen either of those movies. I have oh, seen. Wow. This made me think of. I was like cataloging what plane movies have I seen? Have you guys seen Red Eye? Yeah. Oh yeah, I love the it. Wes Craven movie. That love was it. Wes Craven, right? Yep. Yeah. Love that movie. That was so good. Nobody talks about it. This made me want to revisit it. I do. I, it made me want to revisit it too. I actually was sad because I watched this right before the podcast, and I was like, "Fuck, I want to watch Red Eye before we do this podcast," but mm-hmm. it was not to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Blood Red Eye. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to think what other hijacking movies I've seen, like United ninety three, obviously. Um, fucking. Uh, we'll get into that <laughs> nonstop. I don't know. I don't. I can't even think of other hijacking movies right now. Ooh, the one I love. The most of all is not a full movie, but the um, the original Twilight Zone episode of Nightmare at Ten Thousand. Oh yeah, but but even better, the the recreated version for the Twilight Zone movie. You like that? So fun! I love it. Mm. Oh my god, I love it. I don't remember they, much um, about that. I I feel like I definitely liked the original better, though. I kind of forget um, what's the what's the central twist to that. What's the like tweak to the original? There's some weird like kind of shift, right? Well, the twist is that he wasn't crazy. There was a gremlin on the plane. Oh. Oh, and That's the, ori- the original. Yeah, but isn't it the same in the movie? Oh, wait. What movie? Are you aren't you The Twilight Zone movie? Oh. Oh, oh, I thought you were talking about the the Jordan Peele yeah. Twilight Zone reboot. Oh, no, 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 not that one. Yeah, I, I haven't that was seen like, that. Uh, that fell flat. Yeah, okay. Oh, they redo that for the movie. Yeah, and I feel like every time they redo this, it's 10,000 feet up higher. I think that's like Nightmare <laughs> at 
70,000 feet or something. Uh, <laughs> Good, it should be. Hmm. <laughs> uh, I thought about that, though, because the, the poster for this movie has uh, the mother and child in their seats. Oh, and my then God. Their reflection in the window <laughs> is her as a vampire. <laughs> oh, really? I screamed. Well, I finished the movie. I looked it up on IMDb. And I screamed when I saw that poster. Well, it's so absurd. Also, the preview image for this on Netflix is basically her as a vampire, like kind of floating away to dust. Like the preview image kind of blows it too. Oh, but you know what else? Shit. I'll also say another one of my working theories briefly was because the mom gets shot pretty early on. And I was like, oh, is the twist that like the mom is out of the fucking picture and the kid's actually a mutant. I thought the kid was going to oh. be blowing up terrorist brains for a second. Yeah, that that it does kind of look like that for a minute. Yeah, um, I entertained that idea too that he was going to become some kind of super vampire moppet at some point. But no, she's a vampire, and she is specifically like I would say a Thirty Days of Night variant vampire. So mm-hmm. much so that someone owes somebody some money. I think. <laughs> oh my god! I like I the first note I wrote down is is this Thirty Days of Night on a plane? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, even down to like the shutter speed changing when she's in vampire mode. I was like, no. mm, are you yeah. talking about just like a fast vampire, basically? Or no, I mean, I, I just, I mean, I just watched Thirty Days a Night, the movie. Yeah, I haven't um, seen that in a while, and it, it's everything. It's the appearance, the baldness, mm. the feral yeah. nature, just the way she moves, the way she screams, just, just everything. Mm. Um, and there's a lot of winter scenery in this movie too, in the flashbacks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, I think that's what actually kind of made me think of it in the first place. Yeah, which I did. I did like those flashbacks. Yeah, we I should did too. But God, what a what a clunky device again. You know, paired with the immediate res, this movie is kind of a mess. I'd love to re-edit it because I think there's a lot of good shit in there. Yeah, I mean, do the flashbacks it, the really sucks? Yeah, do the flashbacks really do anything for us? I mean, do we need to know how she became a vampire, frankly? Because otherwise, like, what do we really learn from that? I guess that the vampires can be killed by fire, but that's pretty common. I thought the flashbacks were essential to me getting a grasp on what I decided the theme was. Oh, interesting. We'll talk about that later. I'm very curious to hear about that, because I'm with Patrick. I thought... Are the flashbacks there just because you're going to wonder she's a vampire. You're going to wonder how did she become this way? And I found the flashbacks to be kind of uninteresting and and sort of dull and maybe even left me with more questions than answers. I thought they were fine. I just reflecting on them. They seem kind of unnecessary to me. I mean, it's a two hour movie and I don't know. I mean, I, and I'll say I, I liked this, but it did feel a little, I don't know, you know, again, we, we, it's a buzzword that we, a buzz term that we hate to say over and over again, but felt a little totally inconsistent to me. Like sometimes it's like, Oh, LOL. This is a movie with like a vampire running around a fucking plane, biting terrorists in the neck. All right. You know, it's just, it, it borders on like just exploitation fun at times, but also is trying to do like kind of some serious dramatic shit. And I don't know, two hours just felt a little long for this. I'm like, just give me the fun, like vampire running around a plane movie, you know? I thought the tone was all of a piece. I will disagree with you there, but I did find it to be, yeah, again, just the the pacing of it was very distracting. Um, I never really got to a point where I was just enjoying the sheer sort of terror and panic and action of it all. Mm. Mm Mm-hmm. It's a bleak film, and I I think uh, we'll talk about this more in the spoiler room when I start to tell you what I think this all means uh, thematically. But it's a a very bleak film, and I think people who go into it wanting Die Hard on a plane are deliberately disappointed. 
I think this movie has a lot to say about that kind of movie. It seems like a, a contradiction because vampire stopping hijackers on a plane is such a campy, pulpy, fun concept. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I get why people are like, oh, I want to see the crazy vampire shit. But I think the movie is actually, I mean, it's, I think, would we agree it's a very bleak and dour movie? Oh, yeah. For the most part. And I mean, that's not like telling it, that's not tipping a hat to any ending or anything. It's just like the whole atmosphere is just grim and, and, and not very fun and a little slow. And I think that's all deliberate. And I thought that was very interesting. Mm-hmm. And I respected that, you know, in, in this age where people make movies that are so fucking winky all the time, like Megan, <laughs> it's nice to have something that's like, no, this is, this is going to be dark and dreary. Even yeah. We, it's we, a weird concept. It is kind of, yeah, it is kind of nihilistic and we never, we never get a let up from that. There's no comic relief in this movie. <laughs> no, no. Should we explain, I don't know, is this a spoiler? Should we get into the hijackers motivations? If you can, if you think you can explain them. <laughs> well, the, well, okay. So this is kind of why I wanted to bring it up because I don't know that I can explain it. Uh, I guess basically they want this plane to crash. They're going to bail the fuck out um, because they think it's going to create a 9-11 style like stock market crash that they can profit off that. And I don't know. I just don't know much about the stock market. So I don't know. How do you, how do, how do they go about doing this? Well, that's one theory. And I don't know if we ever definitively learn what the motive is because they kind of spitball a lot of possible motivations like the passengers do that are all seem plausible and but one this of them movie is, also puts a lot of effort into reminding us that the stock market is doing well that airline stocks yeah. are doing well yeah. and so i guess that was why that theory seemed to me to be the one that was correct i, I guess yeah i I'd, I'd agree with that and and so that's basically they're just shorting the, the airline stocks so that's that means you buy stocks at the market price and you sell them. You like basically hold them in escrow and sell them immediately. And then you have to buy them back and give them back at some point. <laughs> and you do that after the market drops. So you're able to basically sell high and buy low. Oh. I'm amazed at that's how many little... times the word escrow has been used <laughs> on this podcast. I don't know if that's the correct term, but that's my non-financial brain yeah. manner to explain a, a, a stock short. But yeah, because after 9-11, all the airline stocks went to the gutter. And I think that's actually part of the 9-11 conspiracy theories. I think, I don't know if this is true, but people are like, have you ever looked into the stock short that happened on September 9th? <laughs> and it's like, oh, I don't know. That was a Sunday. So I still don't understand <laughs> this concept at all, but I'll, I'll, I'll do my own research after we finish yeah, this we'll, episode. We'll talk about, we'll talk about it on the break. <laughs> yeah. or, or, or if you're interested, you can listen to, you know, I'm sure there's a podcast all about stock shorting <laughs> with qualified say- experts. <laughs> Major oversight. We should have had Kai Rizdal as a guest. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Let's do the numbers. (laughs) We have a hundred dead bodies. No breasts. (laughs) Every every horror movie on NPR. Never realized how much Planet Money has in common with Joe Bob Britton. Until now. (laughs) Yeah. So... Uh, yeah, and then there's also like, yeah, people are like, oh, maybe they're doing it to uh, change the outcome of an election or this or that mm-hmm. or, or whatever. But yeah, the stock thing seems likely. But I don't know. They're they're playing. Yeah, their plan is basically to crash the damn thing and jump out the back like DB Cooper. But vampire <laughs> has something to do. More like Bane. Has something to say about that. DB Cooper is way cooler than Bane. 
Oh, there's my there's my favorite plane hijacking movie is the opening prologue of The Dark Knight Rises. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I I want to talk a little bit about the um, the flight attendant hijacker. Oh my god, I have so many notes that I just stopped. I stopped yeah, yeah. Let let me hear some of your notes on that, Stephen. <laughs> I mean. <laughs> From the moment he's introduced, some he's he's playing a a very effeminate gay sort of flight attendant archetype, and and one of the other flight attendants says, "Oh, the new guy checks all the cliches." Yeah, <laughs> and I was yes. like, "What the fuck is happening right now?" <laughs> Which like um, I didn't think he was. I didn't. He didn't strike me as like a stereotypical gay character. And he's then, combing his hair dramatically, and like he's got to walk. And, right before that point, and then they say that, and then he comes out evil, and I'm like, "Oh, he's like he's like a theater kid." Is that the stereotype? He's the best way to describe him is he's like the psycho brother from Get Out times ten. Mm. He's so mm. theatrical and over the top in his evilness that it's frankly pretty annoying. I thought I was, I mean, he went so far. I thought it was Jared Leto. <laughs> I don't blame you. He reminded me a lot of God. Speaking of possession now on shutter, he reminded me a lot of a young Sam Neill at times, mm. his facial, you know, facial structure and everything. And I just see the, that. the over the top bravura that you'll see Sam Neill exhibit in possession. It's, it's wild and it kind of sucks. Basically, the Joker him. is on this flight. Yeah. He was a very hateable villain. I mean, I think it's all done with intent. It does it it does work, but my God, just the theatricality of every movement of his is so over the top that I, yeah, I was annoyed by it. I can't put it any other way. Mm. And I mean, which is effective. He's a villain, so I hated him. Mm-hmm. Um, I do like that the other hijackers hate him as well, and I thought they were going to shoot yeah. him. Uh, at some point. <laughs> well, isn't his nickname like eight business. ball? Yeah. Yeah. Is this man just high on coke? Is he do did he do an eight ball before he got on the plane? Probably. That would make a lot of sense. Yeah. Before every take, the actor did. <laughs> now that's some Jared Leto Full shit. Method. Yeah. I mean, well, actually, though, all the performances in this movie, much, much better than virtually any Netflix movie we've seen, I would say. Oh, yeah. Everybody's totally committed to this. Better than any movie we've seen is a is a reach for me, but the performances are very sure. good. Sure. The I m- think uh, I, I would have liked to see Elias cry a little bit more when his mom got shot. <laughs> But, um, you know, what? He's, he's, he's like six. He's doing his best. <laughs> oh, I was heartbroken by his performance. I thought it was very effective. And they linger over it quite a bit, too. Like, they make you deal with, like, this kid. Or at least my perception was they really make you grapple with this kid's horror at what he perceives as his mom probably being killed in front of him, which obviously is not what ends up happening. It's it was it's a little unclear to what extent Elias is aware that his mom's a vampire. Uh-huh. I think he knows. But he hasn't seen it, maybe. He knows something's off and that she's struggling. Like, he probably thinks, like, like every other character that encounters her, that she has cancer or something. Well, he's pretty no. aware of how her meds work and that she needs blood. Like, he displays great awareness of that later in the movie. But I think he also probably doesn't necessarily know that her getting shot in the chest a couple of times is not going to actually kill her. Right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And then there's like like a couple of moments where he's like, "Did you drink blood? Did you drink blood?" Yeah. <laughs> stuff. Um, and he know, yeah, and he knows about how she needs to get like the vampire suppressant meds and stuff. 
Yeah, which I was shocked at how she physically transforms so much in this movie. Uh huh. Mm-hmm. Um, that she was becomes really a full on like I loved. I lo- I know we talked about it a bit before, but I loved the creature design when she transforms, and it was big like like Nosferatu energy. Like it just mm. went back to the back to the source and, mm-hmm. and just put it out there. And it's kind of goofy looking, but she plays it so well that I thought it was really creepy and haunting and, and kind of terrifying. Mm-hmm. And I'm pretty sure that like she gets progressively more scary looking by the end of the movie. She looks way more monstrous than she does when she just turns into a vampire early on. Yeah. Well, her behavior changes too. By the end of the movie, she's yeah. like Megan. She's on all fours, you know, like a dog. <laughs> <laughs> like a dog. <laughs> all right. Well, yeah. Well, I mean, I don't know. I think we got to go to the spoiler room to, to keep talking do. about this because I'm I'm getting too excited. I'm about to start blurting out spoilers. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, I'll, I'll review it. I would give this a cue. I thought it was kind of... Kind of slow, kind of baggy in pace, but overall I enjoyed myself. The performances are good. Um, yeah, really nothing else I can say. Patrick? <laughs> um, similar review. I think I'd give it a view it, a low view it. It's a very, um, it's such a unique concept and handled in a very interesting way. Obviously I am, I have a few issues with kind of the, Pacing, I feel like it's a little long. At times, it's a little rushed back and forth across the plane for no particular reason. Um, but still, I mean, it's a vampire on a plane movie. Never seen that before. And all things considered, it's pretty well done. Chris? I'm going to give it a view. It. Um, I don't think it's a movie for everybody, but it's certainly a movie I would recommend to myself if I hadn't seen it yet. Um I think especially your your interest may may be more or less depending on if you like vampires or not or you like the concept or not. Um, no, I thought it was really good, really well made, very well acted. I thought it looked great. Even like I liked the snowy flashbacks and everything. Um, and 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 it was fun. And yeah, like I don't know, maybe drags in a few places, but I, I only really have minor quibbles with uh, what they made here. I thought it was pretty interesting. Anytime a movie reminds me in a good way of Train to Busan, I'm gonna mm. give it a view. It <laughs> and I had some of that on this. All right, um, which you now right. own on Blu-ray, right? Which I do. Yeah, I, I got a deal on that, so. <laughs> Uh, anyway so uh yeah so that's uh we're about to head down to the spoiler room as always uh you can check us out online and tell us what you thought of the movie you can find us on facebook twitter and instagram at amoncast e-h-m-o-n cast we also have a vibrant delightful discord community that you can join and talk to us there talk to other fans uh the link to that is in the show notes you can read books with me there if you want to yeah that's where steven's uh book club assembles so you can uh, join uh, his his discussions over there uh, you can also go to everyhorrormovieonnetflix.com where we have a list of some of the movies we've reviewed over the years and the ratings we've given them. And we also have a link to our merch store. Um, so with that said, we're going to go down to the spoiler room and spoil everything in just a few seconds. So if you want to go see the movie on your own, do that now. If not, come with us and we will spoil everything. All right.
right, welcome back. We are down here in the cold spoiler cargo room. There's a lot of barking dogs, maybe a couple less than when we, we came down here. Uh, but we are ready to spoil everything about Blood Red Sky. Wait, yeah, why were there dogs? Is that, I don't know, is this another common thing about airlines that I don't fucking know? If you travel with a yeah, pet, he, do they put it in the cargo hold? Oh, yeah. If you, if you check it, yeah. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. Haven't you ever seen Toy Story 2? <laughs> is there a dog in the car? Uh, I don't know if there's a dog, but um, Slinky Dog acts like he's a real dog because they're all hiding oh. in a, cat, ca- a dog carrier right, yeah. into the into the. <laughs> he's like bark, 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 bark. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I just I just rewatched that actually. There's some cats down there too, probably, but they're just not as loud as dogs, so we didn't hear them. Yeah, that was actually a sad part of the movie because when our hero. Oh. If you can call her a hero, we'll get into that. Um, when our hero gets has to be a vampire and recover from her gunshot wounds, like she needs blood, she needs blood to recover her health and stamina. So she has to kill a little like Chihuahua dog or something down there mm-hmm. and drink its blood, which is pretty sad. She's like Twilight. And then, yeah, and then when she feasts on the neck of a man. Uh, I think she lets a dog out so that they think it's the dog and they're not onto her and then they shoot that dog. Mm-hmm. Oh. Yeah. Pretty sad. The movie is hard on dogs. Just Crazy. like Megan. Megan was hard on dogs too. But that dog was set yeah. up to be a villain. That was a yeah, bad I did dog. feel bad for that dog too though. All right, no spo- no spoilers for Megan. That dog this was a bad the- dude. <laughs> this is not the Megan spoiler room. <laughs> okay, yeah, so... I mean, what the hell happens here? Long story. I mean, the, the hijacking itself is very convoluted, right? Like, yeah. they're like, oh, we got to we gotta turn around. Oh, no, we got to turn around again. We got to turn. Oh, we did that. We got to turn the autopilot on. <laughs> turn the autopilot off. I was thinking we gotta about go lower. that. We got to. Yeah. I was like, I want to track the flight plane of the flight path of this plane because it is just zigzagging all over the goddamn Atlantic Ocean. Yeah. There's one really funny shot in this movie of the exterior of the plane as they're trying to go like lower. And it looked like something out of out of the movie airplane. Like it was such a bad special effect. It was so confusing <laughs> to try and figure out what the plane was actually doing in relation <laughs> to the sky. Mm. that I, I chuckled a little bit, but yeah, you're right. It's all over the place. It's all over the place. And then like, man, I don't, one of the, the co-pilot starts to help them again. Yeah. And I, I don't know, maybe I looked away or I, I'm sure I missed something, but I was very confused about why one of the hijackers, I assume he was like coerced into or forced into assisting them, but I missed probably because he was locked in the cockpit, happened. like with a vampire at that point. Yeah. So he probably didn't see a lot of options. Yeah. Um, but I mean, shit goes, gets progressively out of, out of control. And we, our heroes trying to kill all these hijackers, but also anyone she bites and doesn't kill turns into a vampire. So she's got to stop that from happening. Like there's one hijacker she bites and then like has to like cut his head off with a pocket knife or, or stab him in the heart with a, with a, with a combat knife to, to, to keep him from turning. Yeah. Um, but then the um, eight ball, which I don't know why I put my hand up like that. Why I said eight ball? Because he's always twirling around in the aisles. Yeah, um, a big uh, theatrical energy again. Um, he uh, is. He decides he wants to become a vampire, so he takes a, a, a syringe of blood from our hero and like goes down the cargo hold and shoots himself up and turns into thirty days a night. Which actually, tries to set him on fire and it doesn't work. That was pretty yeah. sick, actually. While he's in like the throes of transformation, she's pouring like a bottle of vodka or something into the car, 
and through a little hole that she made in the bulletproof windshield and then throws a match in after it. That was pretty cool, actually. That was very cool. And it should have worked, except the plane was like, fire detected and yeah. turned on the fire extinguisher stuff. So, Well, no, uh, somebody actually in the cockpit turns it on, I think. Oh. I forget I who know. it is. Somebody it turns it on. It's either automatic or it wasn't, but yeah. either but way. There's such a tiny... I want to I pick a nit about this, though, because I thought, okay, finally we're done with this asshole. There's such a tiny hole in that windshield that, like, would the sprinklers really have put out that fire so quickly? I don't think so. It might have removed all the oxygen from the environment. It might have, like, suffoc- smothered it out, because the, the fire is going to need fuel it's gonna yeah. need air inside the car and it's gonna lose the air in the car very oh, quickly and they and are if, in low pressure at that point and it can draw it from outside the car but once you douse the outside of the car in fire repellent gases maybe not that's how i justify it to myself but i'm not that, we have to get that actually grass tyson in here that does actually kind of make sense <laughs> no okay. we have to get these two guys i've been watching a lot of forensic files lately i've just been mm. putting it on in the background while i've been like working in the house i've been watching like five hour marathons of forensic files on hln and um uh there was this woman who was sentenced to prison for murder because they thought she killed her mom and then set the car on fire. And they hired these like freelance fire investigators who like, you could like the just ridiculous looking like these, these big, like woolly nerdy guys. That's such Um, a niche sketchy profession, by the way. (laughs) And they came in and they were like, you might think she poured gasoline on this lady and set her on fire in the car. But actually uh, there's a little manufacturing defect in this car that can catch the steering column on fire. And actually once the steering column melts, it acts like a fire accelerant. And so that's probably what happened. And uh, how'd she die? She had a heart attack. Wow. (laughs) Seems like a stretch, but it got her out of prison. So (laughs) what am I to say? (laughs) So we need to get those people on this show to review, to analyze the fire physics here. Sure. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Well, Farid, was that his name? Yeah. Yeah, Farid. He's a physicist. So we should have had him on the show. Farid's a physicist. So, So Farid is the, is the German Muslim man who's going to a conference for I think it's like a conference for like Muslim academics in America, and I don't think it's for Muslim academics specifically. I think it is because there's another. Isn't there another Muslim on the plane? Oh, I thought that says, I thought that was a coincidence. I thought they were just going to an aerospace uh, engineering yeah, thing. convention. That, oh well, I thought that there was. At least a, that's what the, the conference guy says. doesn't exist. The conference doesn't exist. The conference is a setup to get these people on the plane. Hmm? What? Yeah, You're blowing my mind. If that's no, true, no, 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 no. I it might have been an aerospace conference where they just so they wanted guys, Muslims on I, the plane and they planned to have them have one of them at least one of them in the cockpit at some point to deflect the the blame. Well, the plane the was going to crash. The, the plane was supposed to crash, so it doesn't matter who's oh, in the yeah. cockpit. But the the plan was to have Farid and at least one other Muslim guy on the plane thinking they were going to a conference that doesn't exist. And if you remember in like the first scene for in the airport and he's like, no, you switched my ticket, blah, blah, blah. Well, I'm never, actually, I'm never flying to a conference again. <laughs> <laughs> Cause they actually switched to the, the planes to bring these people together on this plane, going to this supposed conference, which then the Scottish call of duty guys, like we looked into that. It doesn't exist, mate. Oh, so, 
And then, and then of course they make him read this statement that, that's basically, you know, is, is taking credit for the hijacking in, in the name of Islam. Uh, and yeah. so that that's the ruse. They're going to say, Oh, this is what we're doing. It's, 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 it's Islamic extremism. And look at these Muslims who are on the plane. Uh, and it's all orchestrated. So again, a very complex conspiracy that's operating on many levels. Hmm all the way through to the airport ticketing people. Well, thank wow. you for explaining it to us. This movie that I <laughs> missed. So, okay. So Chris, that was the time. I think, what do you think the actual hijackers motivations were? Oh, you I don't have know. A theory. You, you I don't have, have a, I don't have a theory on that. No, well, I think the, the movie's about seems likely. Yeah. I, I know what the movie's about. Oh, he um, knows what the movie's about. Well, tell me what, the, <laughs> tell me what this movie's about. Here's what I think this movie is about. Okay. So basically it, this movie is using the framework, a very familiar framework. It, it's, it's leaning a lot on like the whole diehard, uh, premise, which also diehard iterated into like, you know, 20 copycat movies that took place on planes. It, it's yeah. using those, it's leaning on that trope, and it's also, um, I think, deliberately evocative of Flight 93 and 9-11, um, and just the whole passengers having to overcome hijackers, etc. There, there's a lot of sort of references to that sort of thing. Um, I think this movie, which is a German movie, and I, I think it, that might be significant. I, I don't know much about German culture, but I, I would assume that they have a different attitude towards war violence and nationalism than we do in America. And I think this movie says that it's critiquing the myth of movies like Die Hard. And it's also critiquing the place that flight 93 and the larger nine 11 story have in our collective memory. Uh, and and the flashback is where the part where it articulates this because in the flashback she goes to this village she goes to this house in the country where she was turned into a vampire and meets the dad of the guy who bit her and turned her into a vampire, and he's like trying to do a murder suicide on her he's trying to kill her burn his ho- own house down and he's like no there's an evil inside of us you can't control it and it's only going to create suffering. Like, get this idea out of your head that you can be half a vampire. Get this idea out of your head that you can that you can control the evil. There's an inherent evil, and if you let it out, it creates nothing but suffering. So I think the movie is saying, when you have these stories and myths, whether they're based on reality, like Flight 93, whether they're based in fiction, like Die Hard, and on all the airplane movies... It's let it's 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 letting out an innate evil in us that is only going to produce suffering, and we should question why we want that so badly. So when people say, "Oh, the movie's too slow," this should be more fun. It's not as fun as you would think a vampire movie on a plane should be. It's not supposed to be fun. It's saying, "Look at these fucking monsters. Look at what this has come to. Everybody on the plane is dead, screaming, suffering. Terrorists and he, quote unquote heroes alike are snarling at each other, completely monstrous. There's no heroism here. This is just bloodshed. This is heinous." And maybe you should, you know, not not condemning this stuff, but saying maybe you should, you know, interrogate the reasons why this story appeals to you so much and be wary of letting the monster inside you or in your society out. Hmm. Wow. Well, this movie's premise did not appeal to me. I would not have watched it had it not been for 
<laughs> having to do so for the show. So yeah, I'm I not maybe I, the target audience for that message, but I think you might be onto something. I feel like you can do that without making it a vampire on a plane movie. <laughs> That's where I'm like, this is kind of almost offensive, right? We're dealing with like echoes of real world trauma and we're turning into a vampire movie. Like, what is this fucking snakes on a plane redux? It's- but I mean, the vampire is, is fundamentally a myth about that sort of thing, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're right. I mean, um, I've read some really interesting essays over the years about how Nosferatu, you know, not the not the first vampire movie, but the, the most iconic of the early silent films is kind of an analog for the rise of like right wing nationalism in Germany. So yeah, there 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 may be something there. So that fits. That yeah. fits for sure. Cause yeah, I, I think I think that's what it's saying. And like, I don't think it's saying, oh, if you were on Flight 93, you shouldn't have fought back. I think it's saying, like, why do we tell ourselves this story? Why do we celebrate this story? And are we forgetting another side of the story, which is just that, like, it's not good to have to kill people. <laughs> like, and it's not something to be celebrated. Um, well, what? I mean, why would we not celebrate that story of Flight 93? Because it's it because it's it's a it's a propaganda story and it's a story that normalizes the fantasy of like Mark Wahlberg says if I had been on that plane things would have gone differently like there's this there's this macho nationalist violent element to the way we tell and remember that story which coexists along the fact that yes it was a heroic thing and I think this movie's saying you know let's not get carried away. Let's remember that when you let the fucking violence out of the tank, you can't control it, you know, in, in your in your culture, in your whatever. Uh, I don't, I mean, so, I mean, what are you advocating for that, like, everybody should just throw up their hands and let the terrorists crash the fucking plane? No, exactly. I just said this movie's not saying that. I think it's saying that let's just be sober about how we think about that sort of thing. And let's not use it as a rah, rah, you know, if, if they were fucking still alive, we'd bring them out at the super bowl and have F 14s fly overhead. And, but that's the <laughs> point is they're not still alive. It's a tragic story that people generally remember with like a lot of somberness and sobriety. I don't really, I don't know. I guess I don't see, I mean, so, okay. I can see the argument for like the let's roll thing that got overly mythologized, but for the most part, it's a very sad story of people making a desperate and surprisingly successful attempt to avert mass murder. Of course. And there's a difference between observing it in a somber way and the let's roll way and the Mark Wahlberg talking about how he would have done the same thing way. And it's basically just, I I think it's saying stories like that give us an excuse, like just like the death. I've been watching a lot of forensic files. So just the the forensic files is the, I'm glad you know what it all comes back around. The forensic files is like the greatest propaganda for the death penalty I have ever seen. (laughs) I am very, I am very anti death penalty. And I watched this show. I'm like, Oh, did they kill that guy? I hope they fucking put that guy in the electric chair. And they did. And, and and I get, I get off on that, but the the, the show is designed to make you think that it's horrible. Mm. Um, and so I think a lot of times stories that we have 
Flight 93, Die Hard, etc. There's I don't I don't, I don't see the Flight 90 connecting Flight 93 to Die Hard doesn't make a goddamn bit of sense. They're to me. giving us it gives us an excuse to put ourselves in the position of saying like, oh yeah, I could fuck a guy up. Yeah, I would. It, you know, what if I were a hero because I killed somebody? Blah 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 blah. Now, like it's nuanced, right? It's not saying that the flight 93 people aren't heroes or that they did something else. It's just, I think interrogating what we do with these stories, what we do with that information. And I think it's coming again from a country that has, you know, history with nationalism and, uh, and uh, their war on terror ended in genocide and hell. So did ours, but we don't use that word. Um, Chris, these are all really smart and interesting points, but this movie read to me as pure, exploitation. I disagree. Things. I don't and think you're, that's I, what I'm, it is. I'm happy to disagree on that. I'm glad that you had the experience you did, but I think these themes are there if you want to tease them out, but they ultimately didn't affect my viewing experience. Because look, I, because, I mean, it all comes, that's why the flashback's there. The fla- The only person who articulates this viewpoint is the father in that, in that cabin, and he says, you can't control it. Yeah. There's a evil inside us. Don't fucking let it out. Like you, you, you can't be half a vampire. You can't, you can't, you don't delude yourself into thinking that violence is a solution to some shit or that you can, that once you become a vampire, you can come back from it. Uh, you're either a monster or you're not a monster. So you can't pretend you're a monster only in circumstances that call for being a monster. I, uh, you know, I don't know. We, 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 can't go too far down this rabbit hole. So, so the Flight 93 people were monsters? Is this what you're they, saying? They, I, think, I think they're saying that there's a monstrous, violent element within people, within society, that gets let out. Uh, sometimes for good reason, like on Flight 93. But once it's out, you can't control it. And Flight 93 turns into a war on terror, turns into... I don't see that as a monstrous, violent instinct, though. I don't know. We could we could go down this rabbit hole forever. We we probably shouldn't. I will just say I don't. By the way, I don't. I don't. I don't co-assign or condone this theory. But I appreciate the thought. Right. While you guys debate this, I'm literally eating popcorn like a meme. <laughs> I just want the listeners to know. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, that's my take. I, I think the the man in the cabin articulates it. I and I just don't see. I think it's on the screen when you have this this family woman hero. I mean, put hero. Here's the thing. There's no one in this movie who's a fucking hero no except maybe for Farid Farid is like the most noble character in the movie and he's uh, coincidentally a Muslim guy who is a scapegoat for terrorism how is how is vampire lady whose name I forget not a hero because she's a monster. By the end of the movie, she has, she has she happens n- to do the right thing most of the time when she becomes a monster. But but I feel like that's almost just happenstance. By the end of the movie, you have her and the hijackers snarling at each other in a literal mirror image on the screen, and she's yeah. lost all her humanity. Her son's trying to hug her, and she's pushing him away and slapping him. <laughs> well, that's and that's heroic. She's trying to con- control her instinct to eat him. I, I, you, can, I think the movie says you can look at this as heroism, or you can look at this as eh, maybe this isn't. This is there's something bad about. She this. didn't make a choice to become a vampire. She makes only choices to do the right thing and try and protect people. I'm I'm sorry. This is 
<laughs> Your take makes no fucking sense to me. All right, all right. Well, I love you. I love you. I this makes what, no I fucking what I sense said. to I me, just, though. I mean, at the end, look, we're in the spoiler room. At the end yeah. of the movie... Oh, yeah, we never really explained that. Everybody on the plane becomes a vampire or is killed by a vampire or trampled to death by the crowds. Everybody. Or it's killed by the explosion. Or is, yeah, ultimately killed by the explosion, which is set off by the Moppet of all people, which that feels, that feels thematic. There's an sure. evil inside all of us. There's a, a propensity for violence within all of us, even the little boy who ends up blowing up the whole plane, killing all the vampires, all the special forces people, and his own mother disappears into a fireball in front of his own face. He's like, I feel and like that's he's a happy an ending. I feel like he's an audience surrogate at that point. He's like, this is getting too fucking complicated. Let's just blow it all up. <laughs> And so at the end you have Fareed and, and, and the boy who are who are maybe the, the, the two characters who actually conducted themselves with with honor and humanity through the whole movie. I, this is insane. The vampire mom conducts herself with great honor and humanity given the condition that was inflicted upon her, which she has no control over. All right. Well, viewers, listeners, watch the movie. Decide for yourself if our hero, our so-called hero, not Nadia, is is a hero at the end of the movie. We'll, we'll, we'll have to uh, create special emojis in the Discord, Discord to vote for. Uh, this is like a team sanity, team reality kind of situation. It here, really Steven. is. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, really just is. just we should, visually, we should cut this to vinyl. <laughs> The way the way the the way the film is made, the imagery—it's she's a monster at the end, and she's not the good type of monster. No, no, she's completely feral by the end of the, by the last time we see her. She's like, I'm crawling back in there, and I'm going to do the best good I can in this fucked up situation. Son, go do the right thing. And and you know what? I'm going to bring it back to Die Hard because you know by the end of Die Hard Three, John McClane's covered in fucking blood his white little wife beard or do we say that his white tank top is <laughs> soaked in blood and he's he's a monster but you're like that guy he fucking did it for the right reason man this this is my fucking guy and here a little hard to do but mm. i guess we're i guess patrick's still doing it it's not not hard for me to it. do <laughs> Wow. Well, that's your movie, right? <laughs> I mean, what more do we say? I, you, this is an Amon first. I almost want to go back and rewatch it, but I found it to be such a slog. It's my cue it that I don't think I'm I'm going to. But, it's, it's, but Chris, it's I admire dour. you. For, it's dour, and it's it lacks. It really lacks momentum. Like I, like you can make a movie set in a tight enclosed space exciting, and I feel like this movie is just so all over the place. That it the the net the net energy is lackluster at best. I f I found it exciting at times. Just you know, as we talked about earlier, the the pace it it ebbs and flows. Maybe not. Well, I'm curious to I'm, I'm curious to read more from the filmmakers and see if they've done interviews and what they have to say about. Because I I don't I do not doubt that Chris's probably on point about a lot of this stuff but it just it just didn't translate to me 
during the viewing experience. Yeah, and listen, I'm probably going to look like an asshole because you're probably going to find some interview with the director where he's like, you know, I, I, we've seen movies like nonstop and die hard, but they just weren't <laughs> bloody enough. And so we wanted to really go there with a vampire. Well, I, Maybe if that's, that's the what case, you'll find. If that's the case, I'm not going to treat you like an asshole. I'm going to treat you like a, like, a, like a smart friend and we'll engage in further debate and conversation about it. But also there's always a difference between the movie they set out to make and the movie they make. Well, I just read the Nope screenplay yesterday, so yeah, yeah, that that resonates with me. Mm-hmm. All right, well, what are we watching next time? Now, now that yeah. now that yeah, you've, what are we, Patrick? Now that you've watched two more uh, opposing forces snarl at each other and both become the monster in the scenario. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Patrick. Now, now your turn to be either hero or villain with your your pick for next time. Next episode, we are going to be watching I Know What You Did Last Summer, which has been on my list for a long time, and I have never fucking seen it. Have you guys seen Ah, it? Ah, I have seen it. I saw it when it first came out on VHS, and I got one of the biggest laughs I've ever gotten in my life. Oh, boy. With a comment that I made during that that screening when I was like, what? I don't know. What year was that? 1990. 97 or 98. It was a very young tot, but I- I I sub I I um ninety six cut through the tension with a funny line during that. We'll see if it holds up. Is it? I mean, is it a comedy? Is that franchise horror comedy, or is it just like straight up slasher? No, it's teen slasher. Oh, okay, teen slasher. I am curious to see if it's. I think it's. Is that not Kevin Williamson? Oh, actually, that kind of rings a bell. I think you might be right on that. It is. Okay. Yeah, so it's going to be, yeah, I'm so curious to see that with adult eyes, because he's a queer writer and filmmaker, and I'm sure there's a ton of shit in that that I did not pick up on when I came out. Interesting. Very interesting. All right. Well, a horror classic (laughs) for next time. I know what you did last summer. Can't wait. I'm actually really excited about that one, guys. All right. Well, can't wait. Well, we'll talk to you about that in two weeks. Uh, As always... If you can't wait to hear from us before then, check us out online and and let us know if you thought Blood Red Sky had a politically subversive message or if I'm full of shit. (laughs) All right. Can't wait to talk to you guys in two weeks when we watch I Know What You Did Last Summer for every horror movie on Netflix. I'm Chris. I'm Patrick. And I'm Steven. Goodbye. Goodbye.